You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Remember, and you often hear me say this, a part of our conversion experience, we give our lives to Christ. We invite Christ to come and take control of our lives. We realize that we've made a mess of it and we need help. We need a savior. And when we pray that prayer, Lord Jesus, come and take control over my life. Make no mistake about that. That's exactly what he does. And so he's orchestrating all of the details, working behind the scenes, pushing the buttons, pulling the strings, as I always make mention of. And there's no mistakes. You're told from an early age to chart your own way in life, that nobody has control of that but you. So you set out to try to do just that. And no matter how hard you tried, there was always some part of your life that goes off the rails. But you found that when you gave your life to Jesus, that he helped you cope with all the bumps in your life's road. And as Pastor Mike will be teaching today, it was the same for Joseph. His reliance on God helped him to cope with all of the terrible and wonderful things in his life. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 40 as he begins his message, Our Circumstances, God's Opportunities. So we're in the book of Genesis in chapter 40, and we're going to begin in verses 1 through 8. We're going to go through the entire chapter, but we want to begin in verses 1 through 8. The title is, Our Circumstances, God's Opportunities. As I was putting this message together, I thought there would also be another title for this message as well, because it happens to be one of the subjects that we're also going to be treating. So I could have Given another title to this message, the title could have been, What About Dreams? But I chose the first title that I had already mentioned, Our Circumstances, God's Opportunities. So anyway, with that said, let's go ahead and read those first eight verses of Scripture, and then we'll open up in a word of prayer. And it came to pass after these things. Now, if you haven't been here, you probably really don't know what the writer of this book of the Bible is referring to. So after these things refers to after Joseph being falsely accused of rape, the crime of rape, remember Potiphar's wife, and because of that, he's thrown into prison. But while he's there in prison, even as was true while he was in Potiphar's house, God's blessing and favor was upon him. And thus Joseph found favor with the prison keeper. And so after those things, so that's what that is referring to there in verse 1. 
So it came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt, or Pharaoh. And we're not given the particulars of how these men offended the king, Pharaoh. And then in verse 2, And Pharaoh was angry with the two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. And so he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, so they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. And so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, that is Joseph, We each have had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And so Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Father, we pray now that you'd bless the remainder of our time together as we consider this 40th chapter in the book of Genesis. God, we pray that we would learn all of the lessons that are contained within it. Lord, we pray that we would gain a completely new perspective, understanding of the things that are going on in our lives right now, the circumstances that have come to be in our life's experience, and see them as a part of the bigger picture, your opportunity to do that work in us and through us. And Lord, I pray that it would serve to encourage us and strengthen us, and Lord, that we might find strength and confidence in what you're doing within our lives. God, we thank you. Now, Lord, just settle our hearts, help us to thoroughly enjoy the remainder of our time together as we study this chapter of your Bible. Bless now. Tailor it to meet specific needs. God, we thank you. Let my words be your words, for we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So once again, this message, our circumstances, God's opportunity. Let me begin with an observation. I am absolutely amazed, and I've come to this conclusion through over 40 years of walking with the Lord and my own personal walk with the Lord and my Christian experience and visiting with people as I've served them as a senior pastor involved in ministry, I'm amazed at the variety of ways and circumstances God uses to accomplish his will and work in the lives of his people. And this is also true of you and me. Let's consider just for a moment another example of God's working through circumstances in another biblical character's life. I could have chosen many. But let's, just to make this point, let's consider for a moment Jonah. Now, Jonah was called by God. He was commissioned by God. God put his word in his mouth to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrians. The Assyrian people were a fierce people. And when they conquered their enemies, they tortured them. And they made a spectacle of them. And God had it with the Assyrians. And so he was going to judge them. Enough was enough. And so he raises up Jonah. He puts his word in Jonah's mouth and instructs Jonah to go to Nineveh 
to warn the Assyrians, the Ninevites, that in 40 days, if they didn't repent of their sin and their evil ways, God was going to judge them, even as he judged Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, you know how the story goes. You see, Jonah felt like they're only getting what they deserve. And Jonah didn't want to have anything to do with preaching a message whereby they might respond and God would relinquish his judgment upon these people. And so Jonah, who was to go to Nineveh, the Assyrian capital, instead, what does he do? He heads towards Tarshish, which is in the opposite direction. And he books passage upon a ship. He's being rebellious. But God had a plan, and God was going to get him to go in the direction that he wanted him to go in. And he was going to make sure that Jonah fulfilled his wishes and his desire. So here's the circumstances. You're familiar with the story. God prepares a violent storm as he booked passage on that ship going in the opposite direction towards Tarshish. He prepares a great fish that swallowed him after he had been thrown overboard. The decision of the captain, if you're familiar with the story in chapter 1, to bring Jonah up on deck during this violent storm. Uh, God was behind the storm, and Jonah is in the hull of the ship, fast asleep. The captain goes down into the hull, awakens Jonah from his sleep. At precisely the time, the sailors were casting lots to see who was responsible for their trouble. I guess that this was a pretty common practice back then, but the sailors were wise and smart enough to know that there was something supernatural going on at that moment in time. There was something going on beyond the normal, everyday things that sailors experienced upon the sea. And so they were drawing lots to see who was responsible for their trouble. And the lot fell upon Jonah. And if you have some time during the week, chapter 1 and verse 7. So anyway, Jonah begins to explain what had happened, and Jonah realized that he was the problem, and God was trying to get his attention and get him going back in the direction towards Nineveh that he wanted him to go in in the first place. And so Jonah suggests, hey, listen, throw me overboard, and that will calm the sea. And so after a time of hesitation, the sailors, because the ship was about to break up, in fact, they did exactly that. And they throw Jonah overboard, and of course, it lends itself to the calming of the sea. And then the great fish that God had prepared after he had been thrown into the sea swallows Jonah. He's in the belly of that great fish, whether it was a whale or some other fish, we really don't know. But he was there in the stomach of that whale for a period of three days. And then finally, after God dealing with his rebellion, and sometimes that's what it takes, be very careful being rebellious against God. God might prepare a large fish and swallow you, <laughs> or some other kinds of crazy circumstances to get your attention. Well, finally, Jonah repented and was willing to give himself to what God wanted him to do. And then after being vomited by this great fish along the shores of the city of Nineveh, 
The Bible tells us that it was a three-day journey into the city, but Jonah made it in one day. So he strapped up his Nikes, man, and he ran as fast as he possibly could. A three-day's journey, he made it in one day. So do you think that God got his attention? You bet he did. Listen, gang, in all circumstances, big and small, God is at work to direct our lives and form our character. And that, more than anything else, is what I want you to take away from this message. I want you to gain a bigger perspective about the things that are going on within your life. God doesn't make any mistakes. Remember, and you often hear me say this, a part of our conversion experience, we give our lives to Christ. We invite Christ to come and take control of our lives. We realize that we've made a mess of it, and we need help. We need a Savior. And when we pray that prayer, Lord Jesus, come and take control over my life, make no mistake about that, that's exactly what he does. And so he's orchestrating all of the details, working behind the scenes, pushing the buttons, pulling the strings, as I always make mention of. And there's no mistakes. Now, this was absolutely the same with Joseph. What God did to Jonah, he also did with Joseph. I mean, think about it. From the early years of his life to the present, and Joseph by this time here in chapter 40 is 30 years old. God was at work through a series of circumstances that eventually, as we will see in one or two of our future studies, raised him to that of prime minister of Egypt, only second to the king, to Pharaoh. Let's briefly trace his steps. Joseph has sort of become like a mini-series within our series here in our studies in the book of Genesis. We've learned so many wonderful lessons as we've considered this man's life. But it began with Joseph being the favorite son of Jacob, who was envied by his brothers. Remember the coat of many colors, which represented that Joseph was his father's favorite, but he also stood in line to inherit all that his father had. And this created a great sibling rivalry between him and his other brothers. Also, adding to that rivalry between Joseph and his brothers, remember the dreams that Joseph dreamt, the sheaves in the field, and how that the sheaves of his brothers bowed down to his sheaf, which represented how that he would have preeminence over his brothers. And then another dream, and in that dream, the sun and the stars are represented by his mom and his dad and how that they would bow down to him as well. Old Jacob didn't like that dream either. So all of these things only added to the fury of his brothers. And so with murderous intent in their hearts, on the occasion of Jacob sending Joseph down to see to his brothers who were tending to Jacob's flocks, they put this plan into motion, and they were going to kill their brother Joseph. Well, one of the brothers interceded on Joseph's behalf. They dug a hole. They threw him into the pit for a season while they considered what they were going to do to him. And then exactly in that moment, the Bible tells us that there was a bunch of Midianites, Ishmaelites, who were heading down to Egypt to trade their goods. And so it dawned on them, you know, rather than killing our brother, let's sell him into slavery. And so off Joseph goes as a part of this Midianite caravan heading towards Egypt. 
And then finally in Egypt, Joseph is placed upon the slave block, and he's purchased by a fellow whose name is Potiphar, one of the chief officers in the cabinet of the king or of Pharaoh. And so he actually enters into Potiphar's home and begins to serve Potiphar. And because of God's favor upon Joseph, he also has favor with Potiphar. But then the problem arises that Potiphar's wife wanted to seduce Joseph. And so day after day after day, seeking to do exactly that, but he wouldn't give in to those temptations until finally she cast everybody outside of the house and she thought she was going to force the issue. And she says, come lie with me. And she grabs hold of Joseph's raiment. Joseph wiggles out of this woman's embrace runs out of the home naked, and then Potiphar's wife begins to claim that Joseph sought to rape her. And thus you know how the story went. And Potiphar, trying to keep face, throws Joseph into prison. And that kind of brings us right up to the events leading up to chapter 40. And so while he's there in the prison, he connects with these two other high officials there in Egypt, chapter 40. Now listen, when you consider the progression of God's work in Joseph's life, all of the circumstances leading up to chapter 40, only God could have scripted these circumstances. Isn't that true? You have to put God behind it. Everything that we've read up into chapter 40. And I want you to think about your own lives and the progression of your life and what God has done in your life since you're giving your life to Christ. But even before that, I think about my own experience and the things leading up to my giving my life to Christ, making that decision for Christ. God orchestrating all of the details. My brother Alde Ortega is here this morning. We went to high school together, grew up in Hoboken together. And sometime after the service, if you have an opportunity, speak with him and talk to him about the circumstances leading up to his giving his life to Christ. It's an amazing story and testimony. And it's just amazing what God has done. So only God could have scripted these circumstances for Joseph, but only God could have scripted those circumstances in our own experience as well. There's an interesting proverb in Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 21. You know, we go on and we're planning our futures and the direction of our lives, and then God gets involved and Sometimes it's sort of like a detour of what we wanted to experience, but nevertheless, that's the path that we want to travel along. And it's the path that's filled with blessings. In Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 21, there are many plans in a man's heart. Isn't that true? Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. It can never be defeated. So God was working in Joseph's life, And yes, at first glance, it seemed to be evil circumstances intended for Joseph's ruin, but each was a forward step in God's plan. You know, later on, after, in fact, Joseph being elevated to the position of prime minister, only second to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt, he disguises himself before his brothers. His brothers come down to Egypt to buy corn to sustain his family back home. And so Joseph disguises himself, 
He hadn't seen his brothers for a number of years. He's dressed in Egyptian raiment, and the Egyptians, even the male Egyptians, would wear makeup, so they didn't even know uh, who Joseph was when they stood before him, and Joseph is kind of messing around with them now. We'll get to this in one of our future studies, but after a while, finally, when he reveals himself to his brothers, and they're freaked out because, remember, they had betrayed their brother. They sold him into slavery. If it wasn't for one of the elder brothers, they would have actually killed him because of the murderous intent within their heart, the jealousy, the sibling rivalry. So when finally Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers, they think, oh, man, lights out for us. This is the end. But it's interesting the way that Joseph responds because Joseph sees the bigger picture. I want you to be able to see the bigger picture. I want you to see the circumstances that are going on right now in your life as God orchestrating them for your good. Even those things that it seems so hard, the things that even seem so dark, the difficulties that you're experiencing right now in your life, God has a plan and God has a purpose for those things. Okay, so... What was Joseph's perspective on all of the things that had happened in his past? Well, it's recorded for us in the book of Genesis in chapter 50 and verse 20. And listen, I will develop an entire message around this one verse in one of our future studies. But in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, after he reveals himself, his true identity to his brothers, I'm your brother Joseph, who you betrayed, who you sold into slavery. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So whatever's going on in your life right now, you might be thinking, this is working against me. All of this is evil. Maybe even you're thinking the devil is behind this. Or the devil is using someone to assault you, to attack you. You're thinking that all of what's going on in your life is for evil. But notice what it says. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. You see, if Joseph hadn't gone through the things that he had gone through, hadn't become the prime minister in Egypt, his family back home, his brothers, his dad, his mom, would have never been able to be sustained during the seven years of famine that we're going to be introduced to in one of our future studies as well. God was working. God was ruling and overruling in the affairs of mankind. You see that? Gang, listen. God is working for you. Don't worry. Don't fret. He rules and overrules the passions and decisions of men to accomplish what he has planned for you. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. Oh, my heart. Here at In My Father's House, we're going through the book of Genesis, where the story of the beginning is told. God made light and said that it's good. God made plants and trees and said that it's good. God made animals on land and in the sea, and he said that it's good. And then God made man, and he said that it is very good. 
Creation didn't stop at the end of the sixth day. Creating is an inherent part of who God is and what He does. Look around you. What do you see? New plants, new trees, new animals, each one unique in how it grows. And God is still saying it is good. God is in the business of creating new people out of old ones, undoing the inherent brokenness. When you were born again, a new creation, God looked at you and said that you are very good. He has made you new and restored you to the place you were designed to fill. You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Venizio. This is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. We'd love to see you here. You can find all the information you need, including service times, on our website, harvestnyc.org. That's harvestnyc.org. If you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know that, too. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We hope you'll come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than in my father's house.